and how are you? The answer is blessed. Welcome to the reason for our, uh, the Anchored in Hope <laughs> podcast from the Reason for Our Hope Foundation. Uh, just so you know, people have been asking, we do this from my actual office. Uh, well, I really don't have an office at the foundation. Everybody else does, but not me. But anyway, uh, this is our offices in on Miller Avenue in Erie, Pennsylvania. So we have this room just for the podcast. So I come over here from my parish, which is only about a mile away, and we do everything here. As always, what happens on this podcast is I ask, uh, answer questions and we talk about uh, things that give us hope and we focus on the goodness of God and the power of God and uh, having hope in God and everything that he does for us. And you, we answer questions that you submit on uh, the website or uh, through Facebook or whatever, we answer them here. And also those of you who are watching live, you can submit your question on the comments in the side and I will answer as many of those as possible. Uh, I get through as many of the questions as I can. Okay, first thing we gotta do is pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, thank you for hearing us. We know, Father, that you always hear us and that you're so present in our lives. Father, help us to keep our eyes focused on you and your will, knowing that you are God, knowing that you are good, knowing that you make all things work together for the good, because that's your promise in Scripture. Keep us focused on you and keep us trusting in all your promises. We beg you these things, Holy Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. And the Father, and the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Well, what a week it's been in the Catholic uh, Church. <laughs> I was like, okay, I don't want to hear anything more. But this is exactly weeks like this when uh, there seems to be upheaval and people are going crazy is when we got to refocus and when we got to know that God is in control and that we can get caught up in all the things that are happening and we can sit back and complain or do whatever and think, you know, all this stuff. But God is in control. And we got to know that, we got to believe that. And uh, sometimes when things get drive you a little crazy, just you got to say, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Just yesterday, in the, if you go to daily mass, we saw the difference. And Jesus says, you can tell a tree by its fruit. And again, as I've told you many times, fruit is always about other people. Fruit isn't something for yourself. You know, and so when we talk about any kind of fruit, well, how is it helping other people? How is it feeding other people? So in the Old Testament, they're complaining and grumbling against God. And so that isn't a good fruit. You know, good fruit is about feeding others. And when you and I are serving others, we should be too busy to be serving to be complaining. It just is that simple. It's when we have too much time on our hands that we can get focused on all this stuff and complain and keep cursing the darkness with everybody else. And 
doing nothing good, you know, just sorry. I mean, people like to do that and they feel righteous about it. But if you and I focus on God instead and say, God, I don't know what's going on, but you do and I trust in you, then we can get lifted up above all these things. Because again, we always know how everything ends. God wins. And in God, we win. And so we got to stay focused on that. It doesn't mean that when things aren't happening, we're not doing our best to fix it. But it's fixing that, bringing everyone into healing, bringing everyone into this intimacy with God, not pulling people down, not saying people are evil. Come on. When we start doing this stuff, we have... Every time, again, this is one of those weeks on Facebook that I would just go, oh, why do I even look at this? And I would get out of it and say, but did you see, Father? I know, I know. Anyway, so again, let's stay focused and let's know that God wins and this will always keep us hope-filled. And we need to always be the most hope-filled people in the church, in the room, because we follow Jesus Christ and he is our hope. So we always have hope. We don't get stuck in all that other stuff. Okay, so we'll start answering questions. First one came on Facebook from Kim, and she says, what is holiness? Again, the, the way I've been saying this all these years, holiness is when God's will and our will become one. Huh? That we have one purpose in our life, and that's to do God's holy will. And if we're in our life seeking every day to do God's will, then again, it doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God's will is and whether I am living it or not. It's just that simple. I think too many people, they're always focused on what I want, what's hurting me, what my problems are, instead of focusing on God and what does he want of me. Sometimes he takes us to the cross. You know, when Jesus said, thy will be done to the Father, he died, right? He went through terrible suffering. I don't want to do that. Well, who does? But it's still part of the process. When Jesus says, no one can be my disciple unless you deny your very self, pick up your cross every day, and follow in my footsteps. This is what God calls us to. And when we embrace that, then he brings us to resurrection. But when we fight it and we fight it and make it miserable for everybody else, I'm going through a cross, you're going to go through the same cross. That isn't what God does. When Jesus is on the cross, that's the way, the example we always got to get. What did Jesus do on the cross? Did he condemn people? Did he put people down? Or did he say, Father, forgive them? Did he say, you will be with me in paradise? What does God say on the cross? That's the way we need to live, and that should be what we say. Again, often people want to bring out a sword and start slaying people now. That isn't the way Christ dealt with sin. That isn't the way Christ dealt with evil. The way Jesus always, ultimately, dealt with evil and sin in the world is by dying on the cross. So others, when they sit there and think, I got to be the one that fights. I got to be the one that pulls the sword. I got to want to be the one that tears people down. That's not what Jesus did. And I just think again and again, people, we got to stay focused on what Jesus did. And so some people I know will say, well, Jesus turned the tables over in the, uh, 
in the thing. Yeah, once, once that happened. And when he did it, he was trying to say this old stuff is not any good anymore. The old way of the law is not any good. Now, what if you start doing that? Like, bam, Jesus start tearing over the tables. Why? Because he was going to become the sacrifice. That which they were selling uh, in the temple was necessary for Old Testament sacrifice worship. And Jesus comes into that and he tears it open. He pushes it all away. It's not just he was mad at people selling things. He was saying this old law, this old sacrifice is finished. I'm the new sacrifice. And again, people forget that Jesus is truly present and in every sacrifice. And we shouldn't be clinging to anything right now except for Jesus whatever he wants and that'll be fine for all of us it should be if it's not then we're doing the wrong thing we have one purpose to do god's will and if he asks me to do something i don't want to do i have one purpose to do god's will okay so let's go back here okay we're praying for you absolutely chang and uh, all this since uh, stage four liver cancer god to bless you that you're still there and god bless you that god is still bringing you health and healing and we'll all continue to pray god continues to do that um i never go through any cancer treatment at all my last blessing from saint anthony's church in 2018 jesus was uh came to me in a hospital during my last blessing he, the lord is great and i am healed okay well god bless you did you ever get the wallpaper off the walls of your cabin? <laughs> no, I did not. Just the, the one, and people are coming because I may be selling it. I don't know. It goes, I go back and forth, but people want to see it, so they're going to come see it tomorrow. Uh, but whether I'm going to sell or not, but that wall's half done. And I just said, if anyone is going to buy it, it's going to be as it is. I'm not doing anything, period. You want it, you can get it. Uh, but I might sell it, and I might not sell it. I have no idea. People are coming tomorrow, so pray that I may do God's will, not my own will. Okay, good question. What was great meeting you after Sunday Mass? Great, Bruce, nice seeing you. Teresa and Steve gave me the full tour. Oh, yeah, I'll bet you they gave you the full tour. It was good, and it was your birthday, I found out. Well, happy birthday again. Okay, Father, is it sinful to swear in a joking, friendly manner? For instance, I... Mm, love you this is a question that my friend and i have pondered for quite some time it depends what the swear is okay so if you sit there and say uh, god's holy name in vain it's always sinful you know in any way again in the old testament they would kill you for uh, saying god's holy name in vain just once so always that'd be very sinful and it would be you know, uh, I, I, I ain't going to go into that because people take me out of context. But you got to always watch the context. And if it's something not too bad, then you can say it. But you never want to bring scandal to others. But sometimes words are uh, just words. You know, I, I'll never forget when I was in seminary of all places. We had this nun who was in a wheelchair. And we were in English class. And she sat there and she just came out in class. I was a junior in high school seminary. And she says, now take the word. And she spelled and she said, right at F-U-C-K. You all know that one. Close your ears. But, you know, it's like <gasps> the worst word you could ever say in the American language. Correct? But even with that word, what's worse to say that word or say God's holy name in vain? 
God's holding him in vain, by far is much worse. Well, she said that word to us, and she says, what does it mean? And I remember sitting there thinking, I can't believe a nun just said that word. I just can't even believe it. And we were all just so shocked. And then she knew that. That's why she did it. I wouldn't do that. But anyway, she then said, what does it mean? None of us had a clue. We had these things that we all thought we knew what it meant. All that was wrong. She says it's from the old English. And it means to plant a seed. That's what farmers did to their field. Now, we've taken that word from the old English, meaning to plant a seed. And we've made it our worst word that you can say in the English language. And I don't ever, we ever say that word, it's disgusting. But the reality is, the word in itself is not bad. We have put the connotations on to make it evil. But the original word means to plant a seed. That's what farmers did to their fields. Now you can see how it got to where we uh, make it now a very bad swear word. But in itself, that wouldn't be wrong. So you just got to watch. I'm not a prude that sits there and believes. And everything you say, you just got to watch. I know. You know, like again, already people will say, how does that glorify God? Well, it doesn't. So we shouldn't do anything that doesn't glorify God, correct? Well, yes, Father. Well, I get it, but people are just asking me about that thing. I think sometimes that we focus on judging people always when they would do something like that. This is a long around way that you shouldn't say it, okay? But I'm just explaining swear words to you. Nobody really cares, but, you know, yes, you shouldn't say it. But I don't know how sinful it would be unless, of course, you sit there and use God's name or you're bringing scandal. Okay. Okay, thank you for praying for my mom. Now I did this. Okay, let's go down to, okay, Debbie. So I hope I answered your question, Debbie. What is the difference between solemnities, feasts, and memorial days? How does it decide which day a certain saint gets it? Well, solemnity, the church decides. Or like uh, today, Pope Francis made this in 2016, Mary Magdalene, a feast. It used to just be a memorial, uh, a pretty good memorial, but now it's a feast. So it's what the church decides. And some memorials are only for um, regions or America or Canada or Europe. If the saint happens to come from there, some are on a universal calendar. That means they're for everyone all over the world. That day we celebrate a saint because they are an important saint for the world. The Holy Father decides that. He's uh, done a lot with the uh, changing, uh, bringing feasts and making big things more important like this weekend. I'm sure everybody knows is uh, he made the fourth Sunday of July, always, now, and forever, uh, until another pope were to change it. <laughs> anyway, for always and forever, the fourth Sunday of uh, July now is grandparents and the elderly day. So we celebrate them. Uh, and I just love that because my grandmothers were very good, especially my one grandmother who prayed for me every single day that I'd be a good priest. And so... Um, that's, that's I, I love that he did that, and we're to honor our, the elderly and grandparents and that. But again, the Pope decides that. But a memorial, optional memorials, you don't have to say a feast you must as a priest because, like, I decide every morning if there is an optional memorial, will I celebrate that memorial or not? Like yesterday was the Feast of Lawrence Brindisi. Now, he's a doctor of the church. We didn't celebrate him, even though my name is Lawrence, because I go with the St. Lawrence, the deacon, on August 10th. 
So, uh, but I could have, and then you have all these options. If you have it, there's usually an optional memorial, usually just has one little opening prayer. And then you have to go to uh, like the, uh, like would be under that, you'd only use the opening prayer and then you'd use like a doctor of the church's prayers and for all the other prayers and you go back and forth. And to me, I hate going back and forth. It becomes distracting to me when I'm saying mass. But feast, you don't have the option. You have to do a feast and of course the same with a solemnity. Uh, hopefully that helps uh, and answers your question. Okay, so this is from Jonathan Arndt. Why is it Catholic practice to pray to Mary and other saints? Is there anywhere in scriptures where we are instructed to do, to do this? There are a couple places. First of all, uh, Jonathan, I see that you're not Catholic and you just read, you're reading my book. Well, I'm glad that you're doing that. My father wasn't Catholic and he died a Presbyterian. So I was brought to Jesus by Billy Graham. So again, uh, big Protestant. So, and my whole half, my family's Protestant. So, and I do a lot with Protestant ministers and pray with them. I'm not, you know, some people want to call everybody that isn't Catholic, you know, they're separated from us. Yeah, and we want everybody to be together. But I'm so glad you asked this question. Jesus gives a couple examples. The early church, first of all, was filled with praying to the saints. In fact, Mary was uh, the first image we found, the earliest image we have of all Christian iconography or all Christian drawings, even before we saw a picture of Jesus, because the saints were always important to the early Christians. And you can see that again and again and go into the history of that. But I always go back to what Jesus, remember when Jesus talks about the bosom of Abraham? And he says, when uh, Lazarus dies, he goes to the bosom of Abraham, which is an Old Testament saint. And when he goes to the Old Testament saint, he has a discussion with him, you know, uh, can I go into heaven and everything else? So here's Jesus talking about Old Testament saints and how they aren't dead, they're alive, and we can uh, have relationship with them only because of God, right? You know, so when Jesus says, like, let's go to our Blessed Mother, that when we talk about Mary, that Jesus is not, a, God is Jesus said, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. All are alive in him. So when someone dies, we believe that the communion of saints, they get to, as soon as they die, and if they get to go to heaven, now they become saints. So because of Jesus, we are one body. So the traditional teaching, and I even think Lutherans go back to this part, uh, even Lutherans will say uh, rosaries, but we go back to uh, the church teaching is there's one church, and it has three parts, the church militant, which is us, the church suffering, purgatory, the church triumphant. Again, uh, where does this come from? It's all hinted at in scripture, but I'd encourage you to go to catholic.com and put those in, and you're going to find all kinds of stuff. Where is the thing of saints and all that, and you'll find all the scriptures for that. Anyway, so Everyone who's in Christ Jesus, we're always a family. We're always together. We're never separated. I often say I'm closer to my dad today than I was when he was on this earth. Why? Because he's alive and sees the face of God. So we can go to them just like you can come to me and say, Father, can you pray for me? Yes, I can pray for you. Father, can you give me 50 bucks? If I had 50 bucks, I could give it to you. I'm not taking the place of God. I'm just an instrument of God. The saints are alive. And we only have one intercessor, and that's Jesus Christ. Scriptures are clear. But these people can pray with us and for us. Like it says uh, in Acts of the Apostles, 
when they were praying for the, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit to come, they prayed with Mary. And so when we pray with Mary, you know, and some people sit there, I say, I don't like to say we pray to Mary, but prayer comes from the word talk. So of course we talk to Mary, but again, it's not like she's taking the place of God. That's not what we're saying when we talk about this. But so we can go to Mary and ask her to pray for us. And of course she can ask her to do stuff for us because of course she can, because she's alive in Jesus Christ. And again, that's what all the various saints, because of Jesus, because of there's only one body in Christ, and we're always connected. But another thing is when Jesus himself gives us example by talking with the saints, again in the Old Testament, because there wasn't New Testament saints yet. But where is that, Father? That is in the scriptures of the transfiguration. Remember when he goes to the top of the, 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 the Mount of Transfiguration and there he converses with Moses and the prophet and they prepare him for going to the cross. So here is Jesus, God, in his humanity that talks to two Old Testament saints. So again, he, by his example, gives us uh, the reason why we do what we do, because if it was forbidden, then Jesus would not have done it. So I hope that answers your question. Again, it's a very short, there goes into much deeper than that, but, um, but please pray for me. I'm praying for you that we all just keep seeking truth. That's all that matters, that we seek truth. But thank you very much, Jonathan. Uh, and we're all praying for you and ask you to please pray for us. Okay, let's go on here. Oh, Skip asks, what do you think of the right age to receive confirmation? Is it best in high school, junior age, when teenagers seem to be most rebellious? I do. <laughs> Why? You know, again, tradition has it, uh, confirmation be given before you got communion. At, and that's, there's a few dioceses, not many, who would take that all the way back. And so they would confirm people before they got their first communion. Uh, not many dioceses do that. Traditionally, even the Orthodox, they before when they're baptizing, they also confirm. So they do all that stuff at the beginning again to get all the sacraments. I like when we do it to the junior in high school. Why? Because again, none of the sacraments can work the way they're supposed to work without faith. So usually kids have never made their own choice in the faith. They were just given a choice. They weren't even given a choice. Their parents had them baptized and they were raised in the faith. That's not enough to be baptized and raised in the faith. It's not enough to get all the sacraments. This isn't magic. What's necessary is a person receives these things in faith. So at baptism, we receive a sacrament because of other people's faith. That's why, again, it's not magic. That's why a godfather and godmother got to be picked that are sacramental people that are uh, fully good Catholics that are confirmed in everything else because it's their faith that's making this sacrament uh, important for the child and receiving it for that child. But the child has to come to accept that for themselves. So high school kids, they're making decisions about all kinds of things, about whether to get drunk, whether to get high, whether to have sex, what kind of job they want to do, what they want to do in their life. I think it's the best time to really hit them with Christ in the midst of this because we've already been educating them. They already have Christ inside of them. They already have the sacraments. They're already receiving communion. They're already going to uh, uh, confession. But this is their time to say, 
Do you want to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? And that's why when I do confirmation retreats, I'm really strong on that. And we talk about faith and how to get faith and how to respond to this. And then every single kid that gets confirmed in my parish, they got to have an interview with me. And I come right out and we start talking about faith. Do they believe? Do they want this sacrament? Are they doing it because their parents are making them? And we can't force sacraments on anybody. Of course we can't. You know, we never could. And so I just sit there and say, do you want this? And if you don't tell me now and we'll stop right here, you don't have to get any sacrament. You know, so it's just instead of everything happening to you, they have to make a choice. Is this what I want? And there's many kids that I had when I was a college chaplain that did not get confirmed when they were in high school. When I had them in college and I talked about it, they got on fire to receive confirmation. They were so excited. And you could see the fruit of that. And that's always what we got to look at. What is the fruit? What is the fruit of all these things? Are people coming to know more about Jesus? Or are they not, you know, again, so... I, the bishops could change this. It's, it's been talked about for years. I did a paper on this when I was at Notre Dame trying to get my degree in liturgy. And I, I, again and again, after all the studies, after all the history, I came back to the junior in high school. But other places, I got it in seventh grade or eighth grade. And I have no memory of it, really. I remember my sponsor and I remember the bishop because I have a picture of both of them. But I don't remember the ceremony, nothing. Did the Holy Spirit come? Yes. But did I receive him in faith? No. I received him. But what happened? Not much, you know, because I didn't have the faith to receive the sacrament at that time. But God is still uh, present and God's still working in our lives. But again, we got to remember that this isn't magic or superstition. Okay, here we go. This is... Christine. Hi, Father. I wonder if you can give me your take on the COVID vaccine having been made with aborted fetuses in it. I'm not taking the vaccine, but getting so much backlash about it, I would appreciate your input. I got the vaccine. I got the uh, Pfizer vaccine, my second one I got in 1st of February. So I've had this. Now, there are certain vaccines, like the, the bishop says, you know, the, uh, uh, the one-shot vaccine that's the closest one to abortion. The other ones could be in there, but it would have been 20, 30 years ago. And again, when the Pope and most of the bishops, there's one bishop in the United States that said no, but when the Pope and the bishops say you can do this for the good of other people, uh, then you can do it. You know, I, I don't make anyone do anything. God doesn't either. But I think like right now that all the people that are dying, they're unvaccinated at least that no matter what, like Jesus gave up his life for us and it turned it into good. So these vaccinations, especially Pfizer and Moderna, you get too close to abortion when it comes to Johnson and Johnson and the other ones, are giving life to people. And that's what God does, he gives life. And if the Pope and bishops say it's okay, and it's okay, and uh, I have no problem, I, you know, they, I got it, very fast, and I'm very, very uh, against abortion. I'm very pro-life. Now, again, people say, I can't believe you, Father. Okay, well, may God judge you the way you judge me. That's all I can say to you. <laughs> you know, may God judge you. The people are, ah, may God judge you the way you judge me. That's all. So we got to stop this. I, I, I prayed about it a lot, and I just felt this is what God was calling me to for the good of other people because I deal with thousands and thousands of people 
And so I'm not uh, an instrument of death to them, but an instrument of life. That's why I got the vaccine. Okay. So this is from Matthew. What is your advice on praying when making a decision? Oh, I have a lot of advice on that, Matthew. I have a whole book on it called uh, Surrender. Um, you know, that's why we do it. The whole book on surrender is how to live God's will. And so to bring the whole thing down to this, in his will is our peace, huh? And so when we talk about in his will is our peace, we begin when we pray by saying, God, I want your will no matter what. So you got to show me your will. It doesn't matter what I want. The only thing that matters is what you want. And then you take all your options and you put them on different pieces of paper. You know, like if you're going to go, where should I go to college? Okay, or should I marry this person? Or should I get married? Or should I be a priest? Or should I be a doctor? Or should I be a funeral director? Whatever it happens to be. And you put all your options on different sheets of paper. And then you write the good and the bad. You don't do this all at one time. You can, but it might take weeks, you know. Put all the good, like, okay, I want to be a doctor. What's all the good things? Da, 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 da. What's all the bad things? Da, 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 da. And then I just put that on. I put each piece of paper has different things. And then I just sit before the Lord and I say, Jesus, I have one purpose. I just want to do your will. Show me which of these things is from you. And then pick up each decision individually and sit with it. If it gives you peace, hold it. If it doesn't give you peace, throw it away. And then keep doing it. Let's say you start out with eight things, and then you get down to three things. Well, each one of these gives me peace, Father, so how do I know which is? You keep sitting with it. God, I want your will. And then you think, if I was to drop dead tonight, bam, and I died, which one of these three things would I hear God the Father say, well done, good and faithful servant? Which one has he given me the abilities for? Which one of these really give me peace? And that's especially important whether to get married or not get married, whether to go to seminary or not go to seminary, you know, uh, because God will give you peace about these things. He just will. If not, then we can't trust him for anything. And I think the biggest problem with so many people is that, not you, I'm just talking in general, is that people don't believe God can speak to them. And he can. If we listen, and we do the proper things of a discernment. You know, the, the latest book by Pope Francis, he explains, he goes and he talks about why he uh, was quiet at the dubia, why, how he makes his decisions, all these things. So when people go crazy about why the Pope does what he does, I say, well, I want you to read the book, Let Us Dream. And they go, absolutely not. I hate the Pope. I go, well, are you seeking truth? Or you already made judgments against the Supreme Pontiff. Are you seeking truth and at least hear why and how he makes the decisions he makes? And he talks about discernment. How can you tell what's from God? And how can you tell what is from the evil one? And he spells it all out. And it's very Ignatian, of course. It comes from St. Ignatius. But you see why he does what he does. You see why. You don't have to agree with it. But you can at least understand it, that he's not some arbitrary, like someone the other day I was watching, they said, I look, you said, look in the eye, I look in the eye and say, you're the evil, most hateful person in the whole world. That's nice to say the Supreme Pontiff. But the reality is, have you ever asked him why he's made the decisions he's made? Have you ever looked at his reasoning, his prayer, his thought processes? 
because he just doesn't make decisions. Like, I'm going to really mess up people's lives today or anything like that. Popes don't do that normally. You know, they sit there and they pray about it and they think that this is what God wants. Now, you can always tell because when people start doing God's will, upsets all these other people. It just does. Now, everybody's going to agree with you. Every time I say anything, I have lost more parishioners in the last couple months because they don't agree with me on certain things. And I'm not going to go running after them and saying, come back, come back. Nope, ain't going to happen. Because when Jesus taught on the Eucharist, And all these people left him, John chapter 6, verse 66. He just looked at the apostles and said, will you leave me too? With all my heart, I'm seeking God's will, and I'm seeking God's will for my parish. People don't agree with it. People sit there and think all kinds of bad things about me, and guess what? Some of it's true. It just is. I'm not the easiest person to live with. And some people think they know God's will more than me, and God bless you, then you have to seek God's will. But like I often say to them, we are a family. We don't have to always get along, but please at least think that I do have the best intentions for you, that I'm trying to make the decisions that I really believe I'm praying about, asking God's will in my life. And then I come out and I tell people just simple things about like, if you're not vaccinated, you got to wear a mask for the good of the people that can't. How dare you? You're a mass shamer. I'm going to go to somewhere else when I can do where I want. Okay. But doing what you want is usually not God's will. Are we seeking God's will in the midst of all these things? Are we seeking what's going to be the good for other people? Or am I only thinking about what's good for me to do what I want? And again, everybody got to make their own decisions. God gives us a free will. And so the same whether people join my parish or whether people leave. I'm often like, I, you know, I do get hurt, but I'm like, I'm, I'm doing what I, I have to stand before God. I can't make decisions by what everybody else thinks. I got to make a decision by what I know that God is telling me to do as best of my ability. And you got to give that to people like the Pope. You mightn't agree, you mightn't understand, but again, God is still in control and God will get his will if the people who are in charge are seeking it God will have his will done, period. And so I just encourage you when it comes to that, okay? So, but it all comes down to, and his will is our peace. That's what you got to look at. Okay. Okay, dear Father Larry, and this is from Teresa. Our grandson's getting married soon, and we going, and we would like to go to the wedding. He's 28 years old and raised Catholic. His parents divorced several years ago, and shortly after, they stopped going to church. The marriage is taking place in a wedding venue-type barn with a reception immediately following. It is to be done by a family friend who is a licensed minister. The woman he is to marry is a Christian. However, I do not think she attends church at this time. My husband and I have been practicing Catholics our whole lives. I was told by a priest that my husband and I would not be allowed to attend as we would be bearing false witness by being there, and it would be a mortal sin. I don't buy it would be a mortal sin, period. You know, but I would follow his advice because he's the one. But, you know, I, um, I don't want to get there right now. Our son is hosting the rehearsal dinner the night before, as is the custom. Are we allowed to go to that? It's all connected with the wedding itself. Yes, you're allowed to go with that. You're allowed to go to the reception and that. If you don't want to go and follow that priest's advice, I'd encourage you not to do that. But at the same time, I want everybody to think, Jesus Christ ate and drank with sinners. Why? To bring them home to the Father. 
We have to do everything in our power except sin. Of course, we can never sin. Sin is never okay in any way, shape, or form. But pastorally, I've been a pastor for 32 years. And again, let's say it's your son and daughter and you, or a grandson and granddaughter and you decide, uh, is it, is it going to bring them? Because the whole purpose is to bring people saved. The whole purpose is to get people into a relationship and get them reconciled with God. So if you decide I'm not going to go and for the rest of their life, they will hate you in the church because they would not let you reach out and uh, be, in, uh, be with somebody even though they were not doing what is right. Again, not sitting with them. Or if you did it saying, if you went and they sat there and you said, listen, I can't come, but I love you and I'm going to be there with you in prayer. And they're okay with that. And then you pray for them. Let me just give you an example from this from my own life. My mother got married for the third time to my stepfather. I wasn't a priest yet. I was a seminarian, but I was there. So according to this priest, I was in mortal sin. First of all, that priest cannot judge you and he cannot judge me. You could sit there and say, rightly or wrongly, I was objectively and serious. I did something serious wrong. That's a totally different thing. But what every mortal sin takes is serious matter, full knowledge and full consent of the will. I did that because I didn't want to show my mother that I'm just a judgmental Christian, soon to be priest. And because I was there, right after I got to be her deacon, because the relationship and the door was still open, I got to bless and fix that marriage. Now, other people, when I was younger priest, I, would, I sat there and I said, like a couple was living together once, I was only ordained a year, and I said, I refuse to marry you if you don't stop doing that, which again, the teaching of churches, you can't do that because they're trying to get things fixed, and you're keeping them in sin if you don't marry them. Anyway, and I said that to them, being a righteous person that I was, and they left the church, and to this day, they haven't come back. What brings people to salvation? Jesus ate and drank with sinners to bring them salvation. He went to be with Matthew, and because he was with Matthew, he changed. He went and ate at Zacchaeus' house, and all the religious people went nuts. But Zacchaeus came to conversion. We want people to come to conversion. So that's why I'm a big one. You meet people where they're at. And so listen to your priest. I have a different take on this. And again, I, I did this once on EWTN and a priest called me and uh, he says, Father, can I, can I uh, disagree with you on something? I go, sure. And he just sat there and he started yelling at me and he says, I used to have such respect for you, Father. You know, your confession... Uh, tape is one of the things that got me into the church and got me into the priesthood and he says but I think you're getting soft and I think you're leading people into sin because of what you said about it was a question very similar to this and I asked him I said father would you allow yourself to be damned and go to hell forever to bring salvation to somebody else and he said absolutely not I said oh St. Paul said he would Remember when St. Paul says, I would hope that I'd be lost if some of them could be saved. Somewhere we got to get the mind of God. 
Somewhere we need to have the heart of God. Jesus Christ never okayed anyone's sin. We can never okay anyone's sin. But we can meet them where they are to get them to stop sinning. Again, people will completely disagree with me and call me evil. Right to my face, they've done it, and some of you might be thinking it. But in my heart of hearts, I believe this is what God has done and what God would do. God left the holy heaven and became man and ate and drank with sinners. As an aside, you would be one of them. And if God, even when I sin, comes down to me, who am I to think that I'm better than anybody else? I'm not better, I'm just righteous. God doesn't need you to stick up for him. He can do it all by himself. But again, you got to do what your conscience dictates explicitly. I'm just telling you. But please, don't everybody think, you know, Father Larry's a big liberal. Really? Really? Okay. I would die for the teaching of the church. I just would. Okay, let's go back here. Sorry. I get a little crazy, I know. I get crazy. Okay. What do you, okay, right there, what is your advice in praying? Make a decision, I got that. Father, what do you think we as a church may experience with the contradiction or disagreement of some bishop with our Holy Father, Pope Francis? I think what that does is bring confusion. Again, that's why, uh, like I was talking to a bunch of priests yesterday, we were out for dinner, or we were at the cathedral for dinner, and I thought, I never thought I'd see the day when because I support the Pope, I'd be considered a liberal. I just never thought that day would come. And a couple of weeks ago, someone watched us, and the guy says, am I the only one? Am I under a rock that people are against the Pope? I don't respond to all the questions, but I just said, yes. I mean, right now, especially. Uh, I was talking to a priest the other day, and they said that was the worst, the worst thing. This is the worst, darkest time in the Catholic Church because of this Pope. And, you know, it was just it really... Uh, broke my heart but I thought I have never changed or wavered never about supporting the Pope I loved Pope John Paul II I loved Pope John XXIII I really loved John Paul I who was only in there for a month I loved Pope Benedict I was over there and studying uh, and I was on my sabbatical with him and I got to spend a lot of time in his presence very impressed his encyclical like God is love is one of the most phenomenal things you'll ever read ever by anybody and I love Pope Francis I just love the office so someone else asked about they were talking about all the different things and well what if a pope what if one of these cardinals that was an ultra ultra conservative became pope I would love him and respect him as much as I love and respect the present Pope. I just would. And, uh, you know, and I just thought, if I'm a liberal because of that, I'm sorry. But the people who are going against him publicly, especially if it's a Pope, I mean, a bishop is just bringing scandal and bringing confusion. You know, again, I'll never forget when I was a priest and John Paul II came out and he talked against the, uh, um, the death penalty. 
And I got up at a parish mass and I was preaching on something and a death penalty where it's talking about talking this. I say, listen, John Paul II just said it's almost, a, you know, now it's Francis. It's never the case we can kill people. But John Paul II says it's a very, 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 very rare case that capital punishment should ever be used. And I sat there, and I'm a very justice type person. You know, as much as I talk mercy, I, I, in my head, I love justice. I love to watch the movies where the bad guy gets it. There's something inside of me that loves that stuff. And mercy is something I have to always work on. That's why when Jesus said, go and learn the meaning, it's mercy I desire. That's something I have to keep learning. But I love this justice. But anyway, I got up and I said, Pope John the Paul II sat there and said that we, very rare that we could ever use capital punishment. And I says, I totally disagree with the Pope, but he's the Pope. I'm not. If it comes between me and the Pope, the Pope wins. The Pope is the one who the Holy Spirit come upon. I don't have to agree with him, but I got to implement what he says and I got to teach what he has taught. Nobody asked me and nobody made me the Pope. So if it comes between me and the Pope, the Pope won, I'm done. That's enough. Stop it. So I've been like that for every Pope and I'll continue to be. So, but again, uh, I know I'm, you know, <laughs> it's just bad now. But anyway, let's go on. Okay. Brad asks, thank you for helping me get through COVID by streaming your daily mass. Thank you, Brad. It's been a great time. What was the biggest hurdle that you had with the church teaching that you had to come to terms with before you became a priest? So I just uh, told you. But before I entered seminary, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you. No, I was in seminary, honest to goodness. And that's why we got to be patient with people because I'll never forget my spirits director. I was uh, maybe a senior in high school seminary. And I remember I'm driving with my spirits director somewhere and I says, you know, um, this was before I had Monsignor Peterson, a guy named uh, Father McCullough. I said, Mac, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, but I just don't know. Listen to this. I was going to be a priest. I just don't believe that Jesus, I believe he's the son of God, but I don't believe he's God. I just really can't get my head around that. As we're driving, and Mac just, Father Mac just sat there and says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. I go, boop. Bang, there it is. Bang, bingo. And also, another thing I struggled with a lot, uh, again, I was in seminary before I got ordained, was the real presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Now, this is my most deepest belief in the real presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. But I doubted at first, even when I was in seminary. And yet God revealed it to me. So that's why we got to be patient with people. They mightn't be where God wants them to be yet. But if they have a heart open to truth, God will get them there and we can help them. And that's got to be what we want to do. Nobody comes to faith through our condemnation. They come through faith if we walk with them. So to walk with people in their faith to get them to where Jesus wants them to be is everything. It's just everything. So that's the, the one of the things I struggled with. I hope that helps. Okay. Anonymous. Father, have you ever watched the movie Spanglish? Spanglish? Um, sorry, I have not. My question is, why are good people always attracted to do 
to not so good people. I don't understand why good people are not with other good people as far as being married. This movie really has bothered me because is that what society is most of the time has become? I'm sorry, I don't understand. I don't know the thing, but I think that um, we need to reach out to all people. You know, I often think about Jesus. The people we run away from today are often the people Jesus ran to. The people Jesus ran away from are too often the people we run to nowadays. And so that we got to be, there isn't a person on this earth who God does not love infinitely, who God did not send his son Jesus Christ to die for their sins. And our prayer for all of them needs to be that everyone comes to conversion. Why? Because that's the will of God. Again, it says in the scripture, God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That is God's will. So that got to be my will too. That God wants all people to saved and come to the knowledge of his truth. Now, how's that best done? Through love, through compassion, or through condemnation and judgment? I've done both in my priesthood these 32 years. And let me give you a clue. It's done through love and compassion. And we send people away from God when we judge them and when we condemn them. So, again, we never sin, but we do everything to save people. Sometimes I do that well. Sometimes I don't do that well at all. I'm just like everybody else, and I don't want to be bothered with these people anymore. And I just want to judge them and everything else. And then when I'm in prayer, the Lord says, that's someone I love. And you do the sin of detraction against them or judgment against them, but that's someone I love. And that someone is me. Whatever I do to the least of my brothers or sisters, I do to Jesus, huh? And it's not just the least in the world, it's the least on my list. Like Dorothy Day used to say, we love God as much as the person we like the least. It's the least on my list. And we just got to know that. Now that is hard. That's not la-la. That's going to cost you your life. You know, that's not being weak. Are you kidding me? It's weak when I yell and scream and judge and put other people down. That's weakness. That's not strength. No way. The strongest moment on the universe, the whole time, from the beginning of time to the end, is God on the cross nailed to a piece of wood. That is the strongest moment that there ever was. And it's when we're like that, that we are strong. It's like that, that we conquer all people. It's like that, that we bring salvation. That's what it means to be strong. And that's gotta be what it means, the way we're living. It's just that simple. Okay, let's go on here. This is from Kimberly Fry. Do you have any advice on ways to get Let go of anxiety when remembering past confessed sins. The mercy of God is infinite, and reconfessing them could mean we haven't let go. It's wishing to do it over. Like I always tell people, don't 
don't glorify Satan in my presence. Meaning if they come to confession and they want to confess something that was already confessed, they say, ah, one drop of the precious blood is enough. You're, when you keep confessing something, it's already been repented of, it's already been confessed, you're saying it wasn't enough. So it's a lack of trust in God. So I tell people, what I want you to do is say, Jesus, I trust you. And then I want you to thank Jesus for paying for your sin. Again, too many people think that we have to pay for our own sins then we didn't need a savior because we're our own savior. Jesus Christ paid for your sins. It's more than forgiving them. He fulfilled the justice for them. You and I should be damned forever, every single one of us. And Jesus said and says, that which they have done, Father, give it to me. I will pay the penalty for their sin. And Jesus Christ, when you and I repent of a sin and we confess that sin, Jesus Christ takes that sin and he dies paying for it. It doesn't exist anymore. You got to thank Jesus Christ for dying for you. Every single day at daily mass, when people come and if you ever watch my mass, the first thing I say is I say, make an act of faith and make an act of the spiritual communion. And then I walk you through that act of faith. It's, uh, it's printed on all the YouTube videos of every daily mass. And the act of faith is very simple. Lord Jesus Christ, I acknowledge that you, I believe that you are God. And I believe that you became a man and that you went to the cross and that you died on the cross to take away our sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for dying for me. Once you know it's not what you have done or failed to do to Jesus, but what Jesus has done for you, you're then free. You're free of guilt. You're free of anxiety. Because you know, you know that Jesus Christ died for you. Again, if you know anything about me, you know my favorite verse of Scripture, Galatians 2, 19, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. The life I live is no longer my own. Jesus Christ lives inside of me. I still live my human life, yes, but it's a life of faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Jesus Christ died to take away your sins. And if you have confessed them and you have repented from them, you dishonor him by constantly feeling that it wasn't enough. It's what he has done for you. He paid the penalty. So thank him. Every time you look at the cross, thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. It'll transform you. Okay? So, hopefully for everybody, everybody, everybody. Okay, let's take one more or two more. I don't have to see my shrink today. He's in Ireland, so uh, I don't have to run away and get there. Okay. Uh, Walter, do you or have you ever celebrated a Latin mass? I have not. I don't know any Latin. And uh, as we talked about last time, um, to me, the mass is the mass. It doesn't matter how it's done because the Latin mass is just one of 24 different rites and other people have it in Aramaic and different things. What's most important, of course, is what any mass, Jesus Christ dies for our sins, right? 
do this in memory of me. And uh, he sits there and says, to be shed for you and for all for the forgiveness of sin. So every Mass, Jesus dies for us. So whether it's the Latin Mass, which was not the original, it's a much later edition, but it's been a humongous part of our church. And again, like I talked about, people that are attracted to it, God bless you. And the Holy Father did not get rid of the Latin Mass, is what people are thinking. He went and got rid of it, and he put all these people down. No, no, no. He just put it to the bishops to decide what's going on in their diocese, like most other things. He did not go against it or anything else. He said it's up to the bishops to decide. They make that. Because what was happening is people were making their own decisions. Priests were doing their own things, changing their whole parish into Latin mass places. And I know places explicitly have done this. And so the Pope says, no, no, it's up to the bishop now. So all priesthood is through your bishop. We live as the Austin priests and religious priests by obedience to our bishop. So it's just that important. So when the Pope says, I'm giving this back to the bishops, the bishops have to decide what's good for their diocese. And most bishops have come and said, you know, we're taking care of our flock here. And a lot of our flock, not a lot of our flock, but some of our flock like the Latin mass. So we're letting that continue. That's all. I mean, again, when people were going crazy, I'm thinking, oh, there we go again. People that like the yell and screams to continue to yell and scream without even reading the document. It was just like, I was like, did you read the document? No. Okay, well then don't say a word until you read the document because he doesn't say you can't do this. He just says you need to do this with the permission of your bishop. But great question. I've, I've been to Latin masses, of course, as I just have never been able to celebrate them because I don't know any Latin. Once someone said to me that uh, I wasn't a true priest then, and I go, Really? I guess I can't forgive your sins then. I can't bring forth the true body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus from and bring that and make, uh, uh, make him present in the sacrament. So even though I don't know any Latin, I still hope that uh, I'm a good priest and I still know that everything I do in his name is still happening, whether it's English, Greek, whatever country, uh, French, whatever, still the bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And that has not been taken away from any of us in any way, shape, or form. Okay? Okay, it's time to go, but I thank you for all these questions. Again, I'm sorry for the ones I didn't get to. Um, I'm sorry I go off in tangents sometimes. You know, again, I honestly only want to do God's will in my life, and I will have to give an account for every word that comes forth from my mouth. I know that very well. So just pray for me, please, that I only say and speak God's will, that if I ever do speak anything that's apart from his will, that he convicts me of it and I change it and I make sure I change it publicly because that's all I want. Honest to goodness, that's all I want. And to bring everyone into this loving relationship with Jesus. You are so loved by God. God so loved the world that he gave his son for you. And if you focus on that and him and not yourself, you will live a life of gratitude and you'll live a life of hope. And that hope will be contagious. Boy, that's what we need now more than ever. So pray for me and know I'm praying for you and that I love you and I pray for you every day. Okay, the Lord be with you. May almighty God bless, keep and protect you. He who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you.